Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, so one of the things that we've, that's been going on for uh, over a year now uh, is a group of folks who gather at 9 a.m. in the lobby, which is now also the coffee shop, um, to, to talk about how our discipleship flows into every area of our life. We call it all-of-life discipleship, whole-life discipleship. Uh, and they've been going through a, a devotional book that Richard Foster put together. And it's been rich. And I've had the chance to sneak in a little more recently into that gathering and just wanted to make sure that you knew that that was happening, uh, that if you wanted to come and join us at 9 uh, for a chance to, to read together, to pray together, to learn together, uh, that that invitation is always there. Uh, this morning we were talking about revival and how that, uh, that conjures up certain images for a lot of us, but when we actually think about what God is doing in our hearts and in our lives, uh, that's a constant work that God is up to in our lives, this bringing new life, reviving us. So my hope is that that happens in each one of our lives this morning, right? That God revives us. Well, I'm going to start with the question of the week from the New City Catechism. For those of you that haven't been around, we're we're walking through this uh, newer catechism that takes old catechism questions and, and puts new language around them. So simple question today, right? How can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. Ed, if you want to just leave that up behind me, that'd be great. Thanks. Well, we were, we were talking in our community group this week about the many different events in our lives that function uh, kind of as acts of faith. Uh, we may not think about them that way, but that's really what they are. Uh, in particular, there's a number of folks in our community who are pretty new to Seattle, who've moved here recently. Uh, and many of them have moved here for a job. And both of those things, taking a new job, moving to a new city, are uh, in many ways acts of faith, right? You're stepping out, uh, and you may know a little bit about the city you're moving to. You may know a little bit about the company that you're going to start working at. But uh, there's a lot that you've said yes to that you don't fully know, right? Uh, you know, maybe you've seen Grey's Anatomy or uh, Sleepless in Seattle, and you realize, oh, yeah, everybody does live on a houseboat. <laughs> I've actually never seen Grey's Anatomy, so. Uh, yes. Um, I haven't moved, uh, moved cities, that is, in a long time, but my, my journey to Seattle uh, was one of those situations where I was saying yes to something uh, without really knowing what the outcome was going to be, what life was going to look like after I'd said yes. Uh, my senior year of college, uh, I was really close with a number of, uh, a number of guys. Most of us were also Bible and Christian ed majors. We had a lot of classes together. We all lived together. And we thought uh, this community life that we had uh, grown in college was so rich, and we didn't want it to end after graduation. And so um, a couple of us, two other guys and myself, decided, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to live together. Let's move somewhere together. Let's live intentionally in community. Let's do life together. And I had spent the summer before my senior year here in Seattle uh, at University Presbyterian Church doing an internship there. And they had a year-long internship that I applied for and got. And so I said, hey, I've, I've got this offer in Seattle. Seattle's a cool city. Let's move there. And the other guys were like, great. 
so we came, we came out spring break to, to check it out and to, to kind of make some plans. We were, we were here during that spring break our senior year. That was when they uh, demoed the kingdom. So I got to be here for that exciting event. We watched it on TV, and then we turned around and looked out the window and saw the dust cloud. But um, after graduation, we'd had these plans. We were going to live in this intentional community program that we'd found that was designed to support exactly what we were hoping to do. And then about a month before I was supposed to move out here, uh, both of the guys approached me and said, Mark, we've taken internships in Australia. (laughs) And... uh, uh, they were my ride. So <laughs> I was like, that's awesome for you guys. Uh, I had said yes to coming out to Seattle, and now that, uh, that thing that I'd said yes to looked really different. And I really had, uh, I didn't know uh, what it was going to look like. I didn't have a place to live because I'd been planning on living with these guys. I didn't have a way to get out here. Um, so now I look back, 17 years later, and I... Uh, I was placed in a host family that were the parents of one of my fellow interns at UPC who went by the name of Jeff Aiken, who I then became roommates with. Those of you who know me are laughing. That's good. Uh, I was roommates with Jeff for the six years after that, uh, before Summer and I were married. And almost two years ago, Jeff married my sister, and he's now my brother-in-law. So it's pretty amazing to look back at that that tumultuous time, that, that, that deep sense of uncertainty about what the future held and, and realize I, I, didn't know, I didn't know what I was saying yes to fully. Um, but there was, uh, it was a, an opportunity for me to trust, okay, God's led me thus far, and I'm trusting that he's going to continue leading me. Peter Cracker and Ali Waddell just got married on Friday in Michigan. That's why they're not here. Um, and anyone who's been married can attest that, that similarly with them, they've said yes to something that they don't fully understand, <laughs> right? These vows that you take when you get married, and you can't possibly know what it is that you're saying yes to fully. But you trust, you trust in the person that you are making these vows with and to. And you trust that they have your best in mind. And this is also very true for the life of faith, that when we say yes to God, there's a certain element of that where we don't fully know what we're saying yes to. We don't fully know what it will cost us to say yes to God. But we can trust that God is good. And we can trust that he has our best in mind. And so there's a safety in saying yes, though we don't fully grasp all that it is that we're saying yes to when we say yes to God. Our passage today comes from Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 10. If you want to pull out your Bibles or find it on your phone, I don't have it on the screen. It's a bit of a longer section, so I decided to leave it off the projection this morning. But chapter 10 of Deuteronomy, starting in verse 12. It's page 184 in my Bible. So if that's helpful, it's not helpful. Here's here's the setting. Here's what's happening. Uh, This is towards the end of the Exodus. So God's people, the Israelites, have been freed from slavery in Egypt. Yay! And they were led out into the desert. Boo! For 40 years. And this is the end of that time. And they're just about to enter into the promised land. And God is giving them the law. He's giving them the boundaries for what life is going to look like. 
for what their relationship is going to be. He's saying, this is, this is how I'm going to make you uh, people that are set apart, people that are different. And so Moses is the one that's uh, relaying uh, this word from the Lord to God's people as they're, about to, as they're about to enter into something that they don't fully understand, right? A future that they can't possibly quite imagine yet. So again, uh, Deuteronomy 10, starting in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today, which are for your own good. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. Would you be our teacher this morning as we reflect on this passage? Holy Spirit, would you plant it deep in our hearts that it would bear rich fruit in our lives? Thank you, Lord. Amen. There's a lot here, and this is a passage I would encourage you to reread sometime this week. But it begins and it ends with a really similar sounding uh, command to love the Lord your God and to obey his commandments. And that is something that throughout the book of Deuteronomy and in fact throughout all of scripture that uh, keeps cropping up as uh, a command to God's people to love and obey God. Love and obey. And I think that those are two phrases that we often think of as opposites on a spectrum. That love is this uh, sort of dwells in the emotional realm. It's a feeling that we have. It's affection. And obedience has more to do with the law and has more to do with that's what you do to the law so that you don't get punished by not obeying the law. But the Bible holds these things together, especially as it relates to our relationship to God. Love and obedience. These are not opposites on a spectrum, but they are, maybe it's two sides of the same coin. Maybe that's one way to think of it. Or maybe it's this way, maybe uh, our loving relationship with God, as we grow in our relationship to God, uh, in love, as we receive love from him, as we love him in return, obedience just becomes natural. It becomes the natural outworking of our growth in the faith. 
Yeah, a, a life, let me just read this here. A, a life that is constantly growing in love and reverence of God uh, won't see his laws as burdens, but will understand that they've been given to us for our own good. Did you catch that in the reading, right? These laws have been given to us for our own good. And implicit in that statement is the understanding that we're actually not so great at figuring out what's good for us on our own. Uh, we think that we are. But as we grow in our relationship with God, in this loving relationship, our obedience uh, becomes more and more natural, becomes a more and more natural out, outflow of our lives. God's loves will become our loves. And there is a particular uh, law and command in this, in this passage that we read that I want to dive a little bit deeper into because it's, uh, it's powerful. Um, yeah. As God's loves become our loves, we will love the fatherless and the orphan and the widow and the foreigner. Those who are on the margins of society, those who do not have the same support systems in place that we do. The language in this particular passage, and I'm going to reread it again in in a second here, but the language is actually legal language. It has to do more with the the court of law, with a a hearing or something of that nature. right? Defending the cause uh, is also translated executing justice. And what's remarkable is that all of the people that are listed there are the people that actually had no legal standing in the laws of that day, right? These are the ones who God pours out his affection towards, who God protects, who God supports, who God advocates for. It's the ones who had no legal standing, right? Your legal standing was determined through the only person that really mattered, which was the male head of your household. Uh, You were either married to that person, you were a child of that person, or you worked for that person, (laughs) And that was the only way that you had any sort of standing in society. And so once that person was removed from your life, if they died early, if they left, uh, you lost the protection that they provided. You lost the legal standing that you once had had. And yet, the aim of God's justice and the aim of his love is precisely for those who had no legal standing. God loves the foreigner and provides for their needs. The Lord of heaven and earth, I hope you caught some of that in the passage too, right? Uh, Constantly going back to this refrain of God is the great God who has made everything. He shows no partiality, but he upholds the cause of those who have no one else to uphold their cause. And so, as God's people, here's a law for you. Love them. Let me just read those few verses again. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. like in this, in this day and age in our country, I just have to let that set for a little bit, right? 
the question that we started with today was, how can we glorify God? And we answered that we glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, commands, and law. And in this answer, uh, it feels really appropriate to me that in between loving and obeying is the word trusting. It feels to me like the, the combination of those two responses to God. Love and obedience is trust. This is what it seems to me uh, is saying yes before you fully understand all that you're saying yes to. Before you fully know the, the cost or the impact. Uh, it involves risk. But what we gain is ultimately what is good for us, right? This command to love the foreigner, to love the fatherless, the widow, those who are on the margins, those who do not have legal standing, those who are suffering, uh, this is a command given to us that is good for us. And I will confess that we may not know all of the ways that it is good for us. Uh, We may not be able to see it, but we trust that God has given this to us as a command and all of his other commands in the scriptures, that it is for our own good. There's a a hymn called Trust and Obey. And the verse and chorus goes like this. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We are able to say yes to God because God has said yes to us. This is what we find in the gift of of Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate yes to us that God has invited us into his life. Into the life that he is his building, he's creating here in the church in his people. And in saying yes to God and responding yes, uh, we don't always know what we're saying yes to. Uh, but we can trust that God is good and that what he gives us to do, what he calls us to do is for our own good. Ultimately, it's this relationship that we have with God that is the basis for our ability to follow his laws, to to do what he asks us to do, to love the things that he loves, to hate the things that he hates. And so some of us here, maybe, uh, maybe there's an invitation to respond with a yes to God for the first time. Uh, and that's a courageous thing to do. And if that's you, I would love to, to meet you, to pray with you, Afterwards, or one of the elders can. For many of us who have said yes to God, uh, maybe there is something else that is stirring in you that is a, a nudge of the Holy Spirit. Uh, something that could be anything. Could be a conversation that you're hoping to have with a neighbor. Could be a decision that you have to make uh, that might be reflective or, or more reflective of your saying yes to God, though you don't quite know what that's going to lead to. I I, want to give us a little bit of space this morning to to pray and to to pray with listening ears. 
to respond to this, this invitation from God to, to trust and obey, to love and obey, to live out of this deep trusting relationship with him. So I'm going to give us some space to, to pray, to listen. Maybe there's a decision. Maybe there's a conversation. I don't know what it is. Um, but my guess is that there's something in each one of our lives uh, that is where maybe we're on the cusp of, of deciding. Do we say yes to this not knowing what it might lead to? And as we begin in, in prayer, before we come to the table here, I want to read uh, from Proverbs 3, 4, and 5. Nope, 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Lord God, rarely do the paths of our lives seem straight. But as we lean into trusting you, as we say yes to you, as we say yes to Jesus, as we say yes to following your word and your ways and your commands, though we are not always aware of the cost, strengthen us, give us courage, and speak to us.